I feel too weird as we're worshipping for this congregation. It's so awesome to see so many young people this weekend. Uh, back in uh, Josh Jen Edgeley, we had the 412 Youth Leader Standing Time. We had over 200 young folk, just so passionate on fire for Jesus, that uh, came to be trained and equipped. And I can tell you that uh, many people were on fire for Jesus. Many people wanted. Uh, more of God to go into the schools and unis and so forth. And as we were worshiping, I just felt this out of 2 Timothy 3, the very common scripture that God made note. It says, But understand this in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And that's what we're going through right now in the world. For people will be lovers of themselves, taking selfies and doing whatever they want to do, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, that's gossiping, skinner, in Afrikaans, with, without self control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, in other words, fruit copper, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power, and the word says, avoid. Such people. Now that's what I'm not feeling for you guys. <laughs> so, so you guys are getting worried. You're like, oh no, he's going to convict us of who we are and all that. No, no, no. That's not what the word that I got. What I did get for you guys was Joshua, verse 1 to 8. Mm-hmm. To encourage you because there are many of you who are zealous of God. There are many of you that are sitting here that are passionate for God. And despite things of this world, God's called you into more. And He wants to use you. He wants to use you as that lamp that shines brightly on a hilltop. You know, what is good to the world is going to become detestable, detestable to you. And people are going to find that attraction. Not going to be part of cancel culture and my right, my voice. Now you can lay it all down. And uh, Joshua 1 verse 8 says this. Keep this book of law. In other words, keep God's Bible, His word in your heart. On your lips. So you need to meditate on this day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And this is, this is the Bible. And this is the money line, if you want to call it that. This is the champion line. You can make a fridge magnet and stick this on your fridges or on your windows, whatever the case is. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Amen. All you have to do is focus on God's Word, meditate in the day and night, speak it, live it, believe it, be yours of it, be doers of it, and guess what you're going to be? Prosperous and successful. But remember, the success that you're going to get is bringing more people into His kingdom. God's not worried about the fancy trailer you're going to bring into heaven one day that's stacked with gold bars and big bridges that you built as engineers and all the, te- all the kids that you taught in the schools and that. What He will be looking at is your heart and how many souls you have brought into the kingdom with you. That's going to be success. Did you live the life? That he's called you to leave. So I want to leave that to you guys. You can meditate on that. Meditate. Read his word. Bathe yourself in his word day and night. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Amen. 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 So, uh, 
when being shared about God, if you decide to make it a five-hour service, I don't think it's going to be that long, but I think we must prepare ourselves for that. Which I'm serious. And I have a testimony to that regard. My wife and I were ministering in Russia in 2000 to 2001 with missionaries there. We lived there for four months and helped train church planters, organization called Mission Russia. And I went to this small little church, about 60 people. Is it Remy? Remy? I can't remember the city's name. It was one of the Russian where they got all the small farmers and took their land. They put them in jails in the city where we were ministering. You weren't with me, I know. And so I was very young. I was um, 30 years old. Not that young, but I mean, for you. It's, not, it's, it's young, but I mean, for you, it's not young. And, uh, and, I, and I hadn't had much preaching experience until then. <clears throat> but I'd been teaching a lot in these schools. And um, the word I got was to preach on the river of God. Now, I don't know if you've checked how many verses there are on the river of God. They're not too many. Ezekiel 33 and Revelation is the one or two songs. That's it. Nothing else about the river of God. So I preached on the river of God, and I, luckily I was a fool, I hope to stay a fool for Christ, and I said, okay, we preached on the river, so now let's ask God to take us to the river. I preached on the river, about the trees along the river, that the leaves clap their hands, it's really a lot of symbolism. And then we waited, and after 25 minutes of dead silence, we sat in the church for dead silence, waiting that God takes us to the river. Okay. I don't, I'm not brave enough to do that in South African church yet. But in Russia, we did it. Yeah. We waited 25 minutes. After 25 minutes, I said, God, where are you? I'm doing this speech. I'm doing this in brutal fighting, you know. I'm like shooting a shotgun, please, God, please, you know, like. I'm keeping my pose. Nothing's happened in 25 minutes. We're asking the, the Lord to take us to His river. And five minutes later, 30 minutes later, of dead silence, all heaven preached. The air was electric. My head stood on end. A woman standing at that, that cover flew. Nobody was close to her. She flew through the air to where my wife was Right across the room. People started screaming, wailing. It was holy pandemic. Demons were manifesting. Prostitutes were coming off the street. So they come, just drawn to the church. As they come to the doorway, they fall on their knees and they weep and repent. It was holy. Come, I said, God, what am I, what do I do now? He said, just go and pray. I mean, I hardly come close to and they fall. And God's doing surgery, emotional, spiritual, powerful surgery. We were busy for three, four hours. We didn't even felt like five minutes. I was, I've never seen something like that since then again. All in heaven descended on us. People were manifesting, they were getting delivered, they were crying, they were coming off the street. It was, I kid you not, it really happened. Was it like so I want us to trust. Would you trust me? Yeah. For that to happen in Stellenbosch and in every Josh Jim Yes. 
nothing is impossible. God's going to bring those revival fires back. So tonight's message is about encouragement. To be encouraged and to be an encourager and receive encouragement. And with that, we're going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. I pray with you. Victor mentioned it. And we're going to ask the encourager of all encouragers to come and pour himself out upon us. With the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's a, it's not the only proof, but it's a very strong proof throughout the book of Acts. It speaks of being baptized with God's spirit, and then you get a heavenly tongue. You don't understand it, but your spirit communicates to God's spirit, and the two spirits understand it. And you do it by faith. Yeah. The fire of God, the baptism of the spirit. We were talking to a man, a young man, he's just changed his job, and he was really shaken up because he didn't really know how to fit into the new job. He's still finding his feet. And, and he hadn't really said goodbye to the previous job in his own heart, in his own mind. And he was very demotivated. And Yolita and I sat there, we had a meal with him. And uh, while we were sitting there, I just knew that I knew I need to speak right into this man's life. Good. And I said, you know what? God's not finished with you. God's got an amazing plan for your life. But when I said it, I knew the Spirit was telling me to say it. It wasn't in the flesh, it wasn't factory. I knew that I knew you needed to be encouraged. And I said, God has got a plan for your life. You ain't seen nothing. He's working on your character. You are going to be used mightily by the Spirit of God. Beyond your wildest dreams or imaginations. Look and see what's going to happen. Check this line. Check. What do they say? Check this page. Check this line. Watch this space. Not on board. Watch this space. And I could see, you can ask my wife, Lizzie, how would you describe his face? He was like really down. And then just speaking that lightly to him. Are you going to just share with us? I always know she's got a great He just lit up. He just lit up. And I could see how he became encouraged. And how he snapped out of his discouragement, out of his despondency. So we're going to look tonight at, not at every point of encouragement, but look at the unusual ones. So first we're going to look at encouraging yourself. How do you encourage yourself? Then at encouraging others, and then receiving God's encouragement. Now encouraging yourself, the first and first and foremost is to act on the nudge. We spoke about it last week. Act on the whisper. Every time you rock it on YouTube or chat with a friend or read a magazine or watch a movie, you are setting yourself of the encouragement of the Most High God. You are literally opening up the taps of God's spirit, spirit to run out because you're not acting on the whisper. The whisper of the Spirit saying, Come, come. The most powerful encouragement comes by being obedient to God's draw on your heart when you step in there. Now think of Peter. Did the other 11 disciples experience walking on water? You think he was foolish in all had you not known he walked on water and he would get out, on the, out of the boat, remember, he didn't, he, it was a storm. Go read the story. And he couldn't make out who was it. If you are Christ, tell me to come. What proof is that? <laughs> it could have been the enemy. If you are Christ, I can't see you, I can't make out your voice, come. But he stepped out of that boat and he experienced a miracle that if any of you experienced, walking on water, I 
and we've not had time to rest, and we want to rest, not that we don't want to rest, but there just be so much going on. And we will rest, but I mean, right now, there's a major need staring us in the eyes. A person with a big problem. And I'm empty. I probably have one millimeter of water in my cup. And I take that last millimeter and I give it to that person. Guess what happens to my <laughs> God falls it up. And I'm jumping and spraying around and I'm encouraged and full of the power of the Spirit because I am like that, that widow that gave her last cent in reaching out, in touching. In encouraging, but by being obedient, I got encouraged. So, Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So, your lifestyle. Your lifestyle should shout out. Your, the way you encourage others, the way God has transformed you should impact the people around you. Remember that Christ's sacrifice is once and for all. So now the question we have to ask ourselves, how do we do this Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 practically? When we look at the effect of Peter, Peter encouraging himself by listening to the unctioning of God and stepping out in faith, we can't but realize the knock-on effect in whose lives? The disciples' lives. Imagine those 11 seeing Peter walk on that water. What do you think it did to their faith? By him stepping out in faith, he encouraged them, he built them up. He lifted them up. And you know what? When that happened, Something else happened. That encouragement gave birth to powerful truth. For the first time, they saw who Christ was. And Peter says, you really are the Son of God. And the other disciples said, yes, and they left down face down and they worshipped. That encouragement, that stepping out in faith, that responding to the wisdom of God, Opened up their eyes, their spirits, and their minds to see Christ for the first time for who he really is. They confess, You really are the Son of God. And we see that in Matthew 14, verses 32 to 33. So let's look at lifestyle. There's a very powerful book written by Alan Crader. And in this book, he, this book is called The Patient Ferment. Some of you can read it. You're welcome. But he's basically taken letters and all documents written between Christians in the first 200 years. So, out of scripture stuff. Not stuff that was regarded as scripture. But it's letters, personal letters between believers and whatever documents. And he looked for telltale signs, reasons for why the church since. We had massive church explosions, but that has still been the biggest church growth ever in the history of the church, was those first 200, 300 years of the church. It was massive. From zero to, some people say, Ephesus Church was 100,000 people that, that, that um, Timothy ran. Those are, the, those are the, the, what the theologians are saying. Some don't agree, some do agree. But there was massive church. And he looked, what was 
the telltale sign? What was the common denominator? The biggest thing that shook the world then was people being totally unsaved, excuse the pun, totally Philistine, totally worldly, totally, and overnight being transformed. And they so shook their family members, their neighbors, the shop owner, the soldier, it so shook the environment, the community around them, that it, it literally forced them to consider what's happening. It arrested them, and they had to take stock, because what's confronted them is humanly impossible. The previous day, this guy was a debauchery. He was sleeping around, he was offering foods to sacrifices, he was he was a murderous, cruel, swearing, whatever you can think. He was beating his slaves, and today he's timid, he's mild, he's soft, he's gentle, he's caring, he's loving, he's asking me to help you, he wants to lend you money, he wants to help you. Like that massive transformation shook the world then, and it forced them to take stock of their own lives. And one after the other, they get radically, radically. It demanded a verdict. It forced people to take cognizance. George Garner did research on the evangelical church in America, and he says, today there is no difference in the behavior and the morality between the church and the world in America. They want the same thing. We can't allow ourselves to be like that. We can't. And if some of us are like that, we say, God, thus far, no further. As for me and my life, and as for me and my future home, we will serve the Lord. 100%. So, um, at Varsity, my first year in the hospital, I wasn't quite sure university, I can share these stories. At least one of your fathers will be. Yeah. Then I'll be in trouble, but okay, let me take this risk. I was there, and the, the seniors said to us as first years, we want you all of you must come to the Elbra Hotel and drink. And we want you to do the down downs. I'd never do is that still a word going around? They're all laughing. Is it is it still a word? Okay. So So we go and they they all give us they, I mean we stand in this bar this, and I mean I'd never been in the bar before. I despised alcohol until then. I didn't like alcohol. Unlike some of your BC days, I don't know. Or your present days, I don't know. The reason I despised alcohol is because my dad would often get drunk. I said, no, 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 no. This road I'm not going to take. This one, this one is uh, not clever. I'm not following this route. I'm not following this route. And um, he would smoke. And I hated the smell of cigarettes. And I hated the smell of smoke. So he would ask me to go pick up his cigarette pack and I'd take a tissue and put the tissue around the box and give it to him. I just didn't like the smell of cigarettes. I didn't like alcohol. And then I was judging others that were smoking and drinking. So I wasn't a very good Christian. I was very religious, thinking I was better than others. But now I don't. I love everyone. I love sinners. If someone too saved by the grace of God. But for the grace of God, there goes me doing whatever wrong. I can't point fingers. But in any case, then, so 
They brought us to this hotel and, we, and they want us to drink. And the one after the other started and they said, Damien, look at my sermon. You must go. I said, no, I'm not going to drink. Why? How dare you? They go at you. They see me. They third and fourth years. And I'm a, a first year. Then we got, we got um, insult, what's that? We got really initiated very severely. I mean, we got, we got beaten. We got hit. We really, we, we, we got, they had this big, broad rubber band. They, they'd give us a smack if we, if we did something wrong. It's different. We've suffered your sons. Very easy to do We've complained to the courts and everything on your behalf. Your daddy's and mommy's are gone for tough times of past. In any case, so... I just said, no, I'm not going to drink. And they said, you are. I said, no, I'm leaving. I'm my fire. I said, you, you want to come with me? And four guys immediately came. And eventually fifth guy. And we were like sitting on each other's lap and we went home. <laughs> and nothing came of that. They didn't, they didn't try to do retribution to me. They didn't try to punish me for that. They let it go. But one of the guys got saved because of that. That night. It just, it just, he said, listen, I, I want to become, I want to stand for Christ. I want to live for Christ. And he came to Christ because of that. So, guys, we must live, we must be encouragers of others by our testimony, the way we live, the way we, because you cannot live for Christ unless you feed off Christ. Unless you, you respond to the nut, the tongue, the draw of the spirit. This very powerful story of lifestyle impacting people, yeah. being an encouragement. There are 40, the 40 best troops, or some of the 40 best troops of a Roman emperor called Lucinius, Caesar Lucinius, came to salvation. They were pagans that came to salvation. And the Lucinius emperor persecuted Christians, put, killed them at the stake, put them in that theater. Let animals kill them and, and burn them at the stake and the terrible things. And then he said to the commander, the, the pagan commander of these 40 troops, listen, take these guys, strip them bare, put them on the frozen pot outside Rome. It's cold, it's winter, it's covered with snow, it's white. Let them freeze to death unless they deny Christ. So all 40 of them huddled together. It's a true church history story. They huddled together. And they faced Jerusalem and they said, As for us, we will worship Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And they sang a song the whole night. No clothes, just body heat. And one after the other, they died. And when they came to the third last guy, so the third last guy, he said to the, to the commander, Listen, I'm going to deny Christ. I'm coming out. But then to make it even harder for them, the commander had warmed food, a fire, and a little tent on the side of the of the frozen land. So they could get food and and clothes if they deny Christ. And he said, I'm not putting up with this. I mean he survived. 47 had died already, and he said, third last time, I'm gonna deny Christ. And he came out, and as he was about to pick up the clothes, the commander, the pagan commander said, Take my clothes. My clothes are not taking your place. Was the 47 deaths worth the one salvation? You better believe. What did it take for him to buy into Christianity? A massive price that he bought in. And it's for him and his house. 
His children would have heard, his family would have heard about this radical turn, a total season worshiper becoming a Christ worshiper because he saw their genuine hearts. He saw their sincerity. He saw they did not love their lives unto death. They were willing to give their lives. And when that happens, sorry. <laughs> it demands a verdict. It demands a verdict. That's why we've got a mask on. It compels you to stand still and take stock of your life. If someone is willing to let themselves die for the name of Christ, there is something worthwhile in that. There is something to take stock of, something to co- take cognizance of, something to take serious. And just like David dancing with his underwear in front of millions of Israelites. He did not care to be made a fool for the name of Christ because Christ was above him beyond him. And when Michal said to him, they laughed at you, the servant girls, he said to her, oh, they held me in high regard because they saw my sincerity, my pure heart. There's something about genuineness that tells the biggest or convinces the biggest critic that there's something true in this. There's something real in this. This is real. This is not plastic. Took 47 lives to convince that pagan commander. That's how we encourage others. I love it like that. Let's look at the next one. Living out. Encouraging others by being the least. Who likes to be nice to someone when they're ugly with you? When they ignore you? They call you names? They gossip behind your back? They look down upon you. They're condescending. How many of us love that? When this person just doesn't want our love, doesn't want our care. You need to spite your flesh. You know that term, spite your flesh. Do the opposite of what you'd like to do. Do the opposite of what revenge wants you to do. Do the opposite of what I want to get my own back on so and so so. I'll show them, I'll ignore them too. Oh, you know what? She doesn't greet me or he doesn't greet me. You know what? All that stuff. Because when you persevere in being the least, you know what happens? You start wrestling with God. You say, God, this person is hurting me. This person is doing this and this. And they they say these things to me. And they they cruel. And and that drives you to God. As you go to God and you wrestle with Him. You know what God starts, starts doing? He starts ministering to you. He starts giving you peace. He starts touching your heart. And it gives you a godly perspective. And you're no longer sitting with a healthy perspective. No longer sitting with vengeance in your heart. No longer sitting, I want to get back. And suddenly you start seeing the other person through whose eyes? Through Christ's eyes. You start loving them for who they are, not for what they should or shouldn't do or say or shouldn't say towards you. You start loving them unconditionally as God loves you. Because you've been chosen, you've spited your flesh, you've turned the other cheek consistently. Not in the first ten times, the first hundred, the first thousand times. Not giving up. It's an intentional choice to pursue, to love. He wants us to encourage others by being the least, by showing Christ off to them. To say, listen. The reality of his love, his patience, care, encouragement, suddenly gets home. 
as you are learning to love this person or these others, brothers and sisters, worldly, your siblings, your father, your mother, your uncle, your aunt, your grandparents, you start loving them with this kind of love, suddenly you realize how much God loves me. Yeah. The truth is, oh my goodness, I'm finding it so hard to put up with this person, to love them for all this ugliness. Now I realize what God has done for me last time. He keeps taking me back. He keeps forgiving me. He keeps loving me no matter what I do. And suddenly you're convicted, overwhelmed by the amazing, insatiable love of Jesus Christ. Because you say, so I'd like you to do the right activity. I'd like you to think of someone in this room that you naturally would not connect with. And then go stand up and walk to that person and say some statement of encouragement right now. Before you stand up, think of someone you have never really, or you naturally would not connect towards. And go to that person and make a statement of encouragement. Just encourage him with something. Alright, it's not, it's not a lot lost. David danced, danced with underwear in front of 10 million people. Go for it. So how do you help someone to remove their guilt? I said that onset, I'm not going to share the usual encouragement groups or discussions. How do you help somebody to get rid of their guilt? It's a very easy answer. We sang to him tonight, the whole night. Come on, Dean, what do you say? Jesus. salvation through Christ they are called little gods you are not God take that never be but you have a powerful powerful position and you cannot keep it yourself how do you know you forgive when you say sorry you just know that am I right I know that you know that you know I was clean you know what kind of way happens? Every time you know you forgive and offer your anything, it's a miracle by the Spirit of God in your heart. Now, I'm free. This thing I don't have to lug around anymore. I don't have to carry this bag of rocks. I'm free. Now, how can we keep that to ourselves? We have the knowledge of the life of God in our possession. Truth that sets free. For those who he sets free are free indeed. We have it. The key ingredient of evangelism is encouragement. Set free from guilt. Encourage is hope. There's suffering that pay for your sin, for your guilt. Believe on him and you will be washed and set free. So the key ingredient, ingredient of evangelism and encouragement and of encouragement is evangelism. They go hand in hand. You can't evangelize something without encouragement. There is hope out of your muck and mire. 
Satan will try to rob you of your encouragement. With all his power, with everything available at his hand, he will try to rob you, to destroy you of being encouraged. God wants us. Now, I'm going to just discuss one thing of God's way, a clear way that God encourages us. Just one point regarding, we've discussed encouraging ourselves, we've discussed encouraging others. Now we're looking at how God encourages us. Do you think we encourage when God disciplines us? Why would you say that? How can discipline encourage you? He's laughing from here. Yes, speak to me. He loves us so much, he doesn't want to leave us as we are. He disciplines those he loves. So he sees you running to the edge of a cliff. He says, stop, stop, you running. Have you seen the book? I think I mentioned it's old, you know, babies? Our little boy, two year old. And I say to him, I can't say his name. You'll probably find out later. Any case, I say to him, don't walk to the plug. The socket in the wall. He's getting out right. I said, Stop! Okay, daddy. <laughs> so, what do I do? Smack him on his head! Stop! He puts it on. Yeah, those days they weren't these, these, these protection things, you know. See, he had to learn not to put his finger in it. He just got to lure him. <laughs> like Sid lures you and me. So guys, what happens with discipline is we get slapped around by life. We get rejected by other people. We get verbally accosted. We get treated unfairly. We get it harshly. People are jealous of us. We are jealous of others. We go through trials and tribulations. And then you should take joy at this scripture says. Take the pure joy when you make trials and tribulations. You know why? Because you know all of this is going to make you humble. All of this is going to keep you on the, the straight and narrow. All of this is going to keep you focused on majoring on majors and not majoring on minors. When God is working in your case, you know He loves you. He's not left you. He's not, he's not blessed you to such an extent that your blessing drives your heart away from Him. But He's getting on your case. He's coming and He's working your case. He's giving you, he's giving you some turmoil. He's giving you some resistance. He's giving you a work through other people, also through circumstances. But when that happens, you must say, Wow, God, I can't wait to see what fruit you want to produce in this. I'm expecting to see the wow out of this. The glory, the blessing. Not get all grumpy and upset. Oh God, why is that happening? People are unfair. They got, he got a promotion. I didn't get a promotion. He got an A. I got a B. He copied off my paper. Whatever the case might be. Say, Lord, I'm rejoicing this. So I know you're busy with me. I know you're busy chipping away. I know you're exposing my blind spots to me. I know you're exposing 
the insatiable love of last week's message, Judas Ascendance. Insatiable love of love. That's what made Judas betray Christ. Insatiable love of self. And God will discipline you until you can own it and see it and say, God, I have no remedy for this thing. But you do, I surrender. Help me. Help me to lay down my life. We say it, he said, but to live is a total different people of nation. Totally different. To live dying to self is not easy. It's very, very hard. God, never listen, listen to this, and with this we are NIV. Psalm 141, 5a. Let the godly strike me, it will be a kindness. If they correct me, it's a soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. It's good. It's good to get opposition. Does it say the same thing? Yes, it does. It's good to get opposition. It's good to be disciplined. We need the balance of God's discipline in our lives. A little, a little lie left unchecked takes you so off course. It's like being a half a degree off course from the starting point. For the first while, you pretty much turned out with the right line. By the time you get to 100 kilometers, you don't. God loves us too much to let us carry on, of course. He loves us too much. James 1, 2-4 Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. God wants us to be dependent on Him. And outside of suffering, how many of us stay dependent on Him? Who of you run to God when it's just going well all the time? Please come lay hands on me. I stay with God in my life. I stay with God in my life. We need trials and tribulations and things keep us on our knees, to keep us dependent on God. Why did God create you? We said that last week before Jesus. What is the purpose to your prayer? To worship God, to give Him glory. But you can't worship, you can't give Him glory if you're not spending time with Him. And you don't want to spend time with Him unless you are needy of Him. Unless you pursue Him for intimacy. And you won't want to pursue Him for intimacy unless there's a need to go to Him. Because to your core, you are an insatiable lover of self. So now you'll go to him because you love self. You don't like the pain. Please, Lord, help, help me. And then in that process, he shows you. He says, listen. Yes, I will help you. I will. But see this. This, this part of your life, you're still on the throne of your life. Let me get on that part of that throne. Stay down. Surrender. At your expense, trust me. Trust me at your expense. 